Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. My name is Emmanuel Odeke. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk. It's a blessing to be here from us here at Church of Uganda Family TV. Welcome to the show and just know today with me I have Reverend Rogers at Webembeide. You know it's very easy for people to think about Christmas and they think about the angels, the shepherds, the baby Jesus in the manger, uh, uh-huh. the Virgin Mary, all that is wonderful. Mm. But there is a question that we usually don't think about. People who were living in the Old Testament times and especially had received prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. Uh-huh. What did they really think about Christmas? It would be interesting to look at some of those Old Testament saints and prophets and personalities to see their view of what they thought the coming of the Messiah would look like. Mm-hmm. And especially lessons we learn from those Old Testament saints for the church today as believers. So. That is the tip of the iceberg that we'll be discussing today. What do you remember about your childhood uh, Christmas celebration? Oh, lots of things, <laughs> as you can imagine, and all very interesting. Yeah. Christmas meant eating pilau, uh-huh. having some wonderful chicken that you would especially save for that very particular day of Christmas, and the putting appetite. on new clothes, that was the time to go shopping. Then there is one more thing I enjoyed the most, night angels, going around the village at night and singing all those wonderful Christmas songs, collecting money for the church. Oh, I look back at those memories with great, great, great joy. <laughs> Very interesting things there. So just know it is Christmas loading. Uh, those days there would be people moving around singing those Christmas songs and I don't know what happened to those who used to go singing. <laughs> You need you need to resume and and, and and move around, sing those songs, and then whatever can be done. If somebody blesses you with money for the church, please take it and surrender it to the church. But you see, Emma, for that even to happen, we would have to go back and help people recapture the meaning of, of Christmas. Christmas. Over time, with our culture eroded by secularism and all sorts of wild views, mm. Christmas is no longer what it used to be. As a matter of fact, today there are people who don't even think we should be celebrating Christmas. Mm. Some will tell you Christmas is a pagan day. It is a day that they used to worship some Roman gods, so Christians should not be celebrating, especially on December 25th. Mm. There are those who will dispute the day and say, was even Jesus born on December 26th? And if we are not sure, why would we go ahead and uh, celebrate such an event? Mm. But what the church needs to do, is to go back into scripture, rediscover the vision and intention of Christmas, Christmas the coming of the Messiah, and teach separate it to truth from falsehood and myth that have been concocted by different people over time, and help people to see the truth of Christmas as revealed in the Bible. Mm. And that's why we want to go to the scriptures tonight. Not, not hearsay, not myth, not what we watch on TV, the mm. Christmas as pictured by Hollywood, mm. but Christmas from Scripture, and especially beginning hundreds of years, even before the Messiah came, so that we can be able to capture Christmas in its entire biblical context. Mm. 
and help the church to understand it, to appreciate it, and to see that they can actually trust the information about Christmas as we find in the Bible, and that they can be confident of their faith in the Christ who was born. So now that is, that is just the bit. So if we have that, that kind of start, what is Christmas about? Let's, let's start from there. Yeah. What is this 25th December? Is it the day Christ was born? I don't know if it is the actual death, birth date of Jesus. What is Christmas about? Well, there is so much that could be said about the meaning of Christmas. But in brief, when we talk about Christmas, we are talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. We are talking about Jesus, the Savior of the world, long prophesied in the Old Testament, in reality being born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary, and not just born as a baby, but born as the Savior of the world. Perhaps one of the greatest miracles of Scripture or the greatest wonders of redemption. Because Christmas isn't just baby Jesus being born in a manger. It is really the incarnation. It is God becoming man. It is God himself coming down to tabernacle amongst his people in the person of Jesus to the extent that when Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he reminds them that for God has been pleased to have all his fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. Many people forget Christmas, especially the Jesus of Christmas, and all they see is a helpless babe in the arms of, the, of Mary in a manger somewhere in Bethlehem. And they forget that the one born is no mere baby, but actually the savior of the world. And actually part of the text we will be discussing tonight has a lot to say about the identity of the baby born in Bethlehem. That is beautiful. If we read a lot about this manger, this Mary carrying a child and, and all that stuff in the New Testament... What about this Old Testament? Does it make mention of anything about Christmas and things like that? It may interest you to know that Christmas is, uh, or the birth of the Messiah, is one of the most historically reliable and verified teachings of all scripture. You see, the coming of Jesus was not God's plan B to save mankind. It was the overall plan of God even from before the creation of the world that he would send a savior into a sinful and broken world to save it. As a matter of fact, the first beginning promise of Christmas is not even in the New Testament. It is in Genesis chapter 3, where God, after he has pronounced judgment, or because of Adam's and Eve's sin, he gives a promise of redemption that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And by the seed, he's talking about the one who would come through the woman but who had not yet come. That's why he's described as a seed. And from there you have all kinds of Old Testament anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. You have prophets like Isaiah describe who he is, how he would be born, the kind of things he would go through. You have people like Prophet Micah who even prophesies about the birthplace of Jesus as Bethlehem of Ephrathah. You have people like Jeremiah who describe the kind of ministry that Jesus would do to save his people. So no matter where you look in the Old Testament, there are stories and prophecies and promises that anticipate the coming of the Messiah. 
the one who will be the savior of God's people. What you have in the New Testament Gospels is prophecy fulfilled. People like Matthew will keep saying that and this happened in order to fulfill what was promised or prophesied by prophet so and so. Meaning that what we see in the Gospels as the birth of Jesus is really the climax of prophecy coming to fulfillment. It is promises becoming reality of the Messiah that had long been promised. You go to Genesis, you hear Isaac asking his father Abraham, we have brought the firewood and we have brought the knife, but where is the lamb? Mm. Where is the lamb for sacrifice? Then towards the, the beginning of the Old Testament, John sees Jesus coming and what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What Isaac asked about, what the whole Old Testament anticipated becomes reality in the New Testament. When Jesus Christ is born, not as a baby, but as the good man, more importantly, the Savior of the world. This is interesting. Now, we have a portion of the Old Testament. Could we have a bit that talks about Christmas? From oh, the yes. Old Testament? oh yes, as we have noted, mm -hmm. there are so many portions of the Old Testament that address Christmas. Even at the eve of Christmas, there are many people or Old Testament saints that are involved in the narrative of Christmas that we usually don't think about. Like the old man Zechariah, who first receives an angelic visit and he's told about the having John the Baptist who was going to be the forerunner of Jesus. We have a narrative and a promise of Christmas there that we usually don't think about. You have people like Simeon, whom we are going to talk about tonight, and Hannah, the 84-year-old woman who was living in the temple, longing for the coming of the Messiah. You have people like Mary herself or even Joseph who received these angelic visits that helped them understand what the coming of the Messiah was going to be. And of course beyond that you have the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Micah and so many other Old Testament prophecies that both anticipate the coming of the Messiah, describe the manner in which he will come, the kind of work or ministry that he will be involved in, and the, the, even to the minutest of details, like a place where Jesus would be born. So there is so much, really, we can capture from the Old Testament. But of course, for time's sake tonight, we would rather just look at one of these Old Testament saints, and that is the man Simeon, that we find in Luke chapter 2. You could probably read for us Luke chapter 2, from verses 25 to around 35. And let's try to capture the story of this man. How he understood Christmas and lessons we can learn from him, especially for the benefit of the many who are confused about what Christmas is about. Luke chapter 2 from verse 25 up to 35. I am reading from the New International Version. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, 
Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thought of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Thank you so much. For those of you tuning in, you can tell that this was a very excellent read. Emma clearly is uh, a gifted Bible reader. <laughs> as uh, we think about this passage, one particular statement jumps out that I think is worthy of our attention. And that statement is found in verse 29. Simeon has held the baby, Jesus, in his arms, and he starts praising God. And what does he say? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Now remember what Emma read a bit earlier, that the Holy Spirit had promised this man Simeon that he would not die until he has seen the Messiah. So this old man has come at the temple. He's holding the baby Jesus. And what does he say? Oh, now I can die. Now I can go in peace. Now, if you are listening to the statement very clearly, you have every reason to get worried. It's not common in our world that you will find a man who wishes he could die. Everyone <laughs> of us is trying to live longer. We are in the gym, we are eating apples, we have almost even eaten grass. Because we are trying to stay alive, to stay strong. And, you know, we are receiving prophecies of those who will live over a hundred years. Everybody wants to live. But here is a man in the Bible who says, Lord, in fact, he's the one reminding God. He's saying, you can now take me. And it leaves you wondering, what really makes a man want to die? And especially be eager to die. And of course, whatever it is that was in Simeon's mind is connected with the baby that he's holding in his arms. Mm. And the question we want to ask, actually two questions that we should ask. Number one, who was this man that would have a death wish? After number seeing... two, after seeing the baby. And then number two, question number two is, what did Simeon see when he held this baby? There has to be some revelation this man got mm. that made him for the first time in his life not fear death, in fact look forward to it. And if I can maybe sum it up quickly, I can say, when you understand Christmas well, you are ready to die. Here is a man who held the baby Jesus in his arms. And looking at this baby, he said, now that I have seen him, now that I have come to this moment, I can die happily and I will never complain. If there is anything Christmas tells us, it says, calm down. When you have had an encounter with the Christ of Christmas, you are ready to go home. But for us to appreciate that, we need to go back a bit and ask those two important questions. Who was this man Simeon? So let's begin with that. 
And as we look from the text, there are a number of things that inform us about this man. Both what the text says, but also more importantly what the text doesn't say. Sometimes the Bible speaks more by its silence than by what it actually reveals. Now, here is a man uh, who, interestingly, we don't know much about him. He just appears from nowhere. One day he is at home resting, the next day the spirit has moved him to come to the temple, and he meets the Savior of the world. We don't know whether he was married or even whether he had children. The scripture does not tell us which tribe he came from, or if it was like the tribe of the Levites who would have been serving in the temple. We don't know. We have no even idea how old he was. We only assume that since he had been waiting for the consolation of Israel for a while, maybe he was as old as the 84-year-old Hannah that you read in the story that follows. We are not told about his occupation. Scripture doesn't tell us whether he was a priest or a pastor or a prophet. We don't know. But the fact that we don't know alone is something that Christmas teaches us about. That when the Savior comes, he comes for all no matter who you are. Even the insignificant of all. The people society has written off and said there is nothing good that can ever come out of them. When the angels pronounce the, the coming of the Savior, they bring good news even to the rejects of society. No matter who you are, or where you come from, or how old, or what gender, or whether you are jobless or you have a job, it doesn't matter. When the Savior has come, it changes everything. If you forget anything about Christmas, remember it is good news for all, no matter who you are, or where you come from, or what you've been up to. But number two... The record of Simeon that we have in scripture is very informative for us today. Number one, we are told that he was a religious, a righteous, and a devout man. Now, the word righteous has something to do with a right standing of a person. This is not just talking about Simeon's good character and conduct before God, but he's also talking about his upright standing in society as the people of the day viewed him. Maybe he was a man who obeyed the Old Testament law to the dot. Maybe he was a man involved in the religious service of his country. Maybe his character and conduct were beyond any question. But what one thing we know is that he was a man in right standing with God. He was a man of unquestionable character before people who lived around him. Now, that is the kind of man you want to model. In a time like this where so many Christians speak differently from how they live, Simeon stands as a model of what a true follower of Christ looks like. A man who is right in the books of God as well as in the books of men. But we also notice that this man was a man of faith and hope. Here is a man who has been waiting for the consolation of Israel and we don't know how long. It could have been since his childhood. It could have been 10 years earlier. But one thing we know is that here is a man who had read the scriptures. From these scriptures he had known of the prophecies and the promises concerning the Messiah. And no matter what went on all around him, he would not give up hope that one day a Messiah was coming into the world. Remember that he is living at a time when Israel, by the way, is in bondage to the Roman regime, they are in captivity. 
They are colonized by the, by Rome. They are living at a time where God has been silent for 400 years. No prophet had brought a message from the Lord. Israel is in a state of rejection and forsakenness. At this time, people would have been wondering what happened to God and his covenant. What about the promises he gave to his people Israel? Will they ever come to pass? Will God one day remember his people, deliver them from their political and economical enemies, and once again give them the glory that Israel enjoyed as God's covenant community? At a time with so many questions and few answers, at a time when many have given up and are just living hopelessly waiting for the end to come, here is the man who kept his eye on the scriptures. He remembered every promise and every prophecy given concerning the Messiah. And he lived a life of longing and waiting. If there is anything that challenges us as we think about the message of Christmas, is the fact that God's people are a people called to be in waiting and longing. And especially as believers living after the first coming of Christ, we are also in waiting and longing, in earnest anticipation of the return of Christ. Many other times when we go through so many challenges and we are tempted to give up, we wonder whether the promise of Christ's return is indeed true. We wonder whether one day God will deliver us from such a sinful and broken world into the paradise that he promises us in the new Jerusalem. If you are one of those people who are discouraged and frustrated, look at Simeon. If there is anything Simeon has to say to you, Simeon says, waiting and longing for God is not a work in vain. No matter how long it takes, God will show through. And when he finally does, you will never be the same again. Now, there is another point that is worthy of note. The fact that the Holy Spirit was involved in the life of this man. By the way, did you notice that about four times, the narrative talks about what the Holy Spirit was doing with this man. You look at verse 25, it says the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Verses 26, it says the Spirit revealed that Simeon will not see death until he has seen the Messiah. Verses 27 says the Spirit moved Simeon to enter the temple at the moment to see Jesus. No matter where you look, you see the work of the Spirit of God in guiding this man. And what does that tell you? The supernatural character of Christmas. That when we think about Christmas, we're not just thinking about a celebration of some strange baby born somewhere in Bethlehem. We are talking about the active divine intervention of God who is the originator of this coming of the Messiah and ultimately the consummator of it all. That when we think about Jesus, we think about God's plan, we think about God's purpose, we think about God's power, we think about God's provision of a savior for the world. And no matter where you look, Christmas is a God-centered event. It begins with God through the prophecies of the Old Testament. We see it through the Holy Spirit as he guides and directs the different people in the narrative of Christmas. And finally, we have Jesus the Son born in Bethlehem. In fact, Christmas is the Trinity in action. If you can think about that, you should really find encouragement, especially as we come towards the Christmas festivities. That Christmas is about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
who have committed themselves for the salvation of all no matter who you are and that by the work of God's spirit and his grace what what is so much about Simeon's confession to the point that he's okay dying <laughs> he's he's okay even if i die now let me die i've seen it i've seen it all now i can die what what is the secret behind this man's confession Simeon is a man who messes up what we know about life and death. It's kind <laughs> of like he puts it upside down from how we have always understood it. It, it is a hard thing. He uh, is well, a man who is happy to die. And who does that? <laughs> Not in our world, certainly. Even including us who are Christians, by the way. He, if there is anything we pray for more than anything else, it is the miracle to live long and, and, and to stay and, healthy and, and, healthy and, and upright. <laughs> but here is a man who is saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. So even if I go, no problem. Yeah. Oh. That worries me. Until you actually look at Simeon's rationale, because you see, he's not just saying, I'm tired of life, I want to die. No, 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 no. Simeon mm. is actually a man who is saying, what I have seen is worth everything. In life and in death, it is well with me. Simeon is saying, if you can look at what I have looked at, it will be well with your soul no matter where you are. Whether you are in, on a sick bed or in a deathbed, or, it does not matter. And we want to know, what was that secret that Simeon saw? That changed his whole perspective around the questions of life and death that bother all of us. Now, if you look at verse 30, Simeon begins to give us a rationale as to why he is happy to go to heaven. And he mentions about four or five things that I think are worthy of our attention. Number one from verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, if you look at these uh, three verses, big things jump out. Number one, Simeon startles us. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Wait a minute. The scripture just told us that Simeon came he took the baby in his arms, so naturally you would assume that if someone is holding a little baby, he's admiring, oh, he's so cute, oh, wow, he smiles nice. That's what you usually do when you hold young babies. Mm. Now, they were surprised. The man who is holding a baby says, my eyes have seen your salvation. How is it possible that Simeon thinks this baby is salvation? Simeon is seeing beyond the baby in his arms as he held this baby. Remember, he is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The prophecies and the promises of the Old Testament he had always read about came to the fore. And for the first time as he looked in this baby's eyes, he didn't just see a helpless baby in his arms. He saw the coming of the long-promised long-awaited, long-anticipated Messiah. And he says, if the Messiah has come, salvation has come. You can understand why he says, oh, now I can go home. 
Simeon is telling us that in this baby is wrapped divinity. In this baby, God has fulfilled his promises. In this baby, a savior of the world is coming. Now you notice that Simeon doesn't say, my eyes have seen a beautiful baby. Oh, my eyes have seen a baby who will one day save the world. No. It's not like this baby is going to grow to become the savior someday. No, 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 no. Simeon sees the savior right there in his arms. And through that prophetic revelation, Simeon sees the Messiah finally on earth. God finally wrapped in human flesh. Tabernacling among men, fulfilling his promises. And Simeon says, if the savior has come. The long-awaited consolation of Israel. I can now bow down and bow out in peace because my eyes have seen what? Your salvation. One mistake that you can make in Christmas is to celebrate the narrative of the birth of Jesus but keep your focus on the baby in the manger. It is very possible to look to at Bethlehem's manger and all you see is a helpless crying baby that needs help. As a matter of fact, there are many people who treat Jesus today as though he were still Bethlehem's baby who needs a little help, who stands at the door of your heart and is knocking. He's begging you if you will allow him in and he saves you. So it's up to you to feel pity on him and open the door for him. That's really not how the Bible pictures Jesus. Even as a baby in Bethlehem's manger, there was much, much more going on in this baby that people who saw him, they didn't just see a baby. They saw prophets fulfilled. They saw the faithfulness of God at work. The long-awaited savior of God's people had finally come, and nothing would ever be the same again. Christmas is about God coming in human flesh. In the person of Jesus, even as a baby, the fullness of God was already wrapped up in him. Simeon saw it and he says, Christmas has come and nothing will ever be the same again. But number two, Simeon reveals something else that is very powerful. You would think that him seeing a glorious savior in this baby was enough. But there is another wonder in the Christmas narrative that should arrest our attention. In verses 31, Simeon says that salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And the key word there being all nations. Now you're saying, wait a minute. We know that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, not all nations. We know that Old Testament prophecies were looking forward to a Messiah who would come and save God's people from their enemies, save God's people from their sins. But up until now, we are thinking about Israel as a nation. So what is Simeon talking about when he says that this salvation has been prepared in the sight of all nations? In the baby Jesus, Simeon sees a savior who brings a global salvation, a universal salvation. The Jews of his day would have been taken aback and surprised because they thought the Messiah was Israel's Messiah coming for the salvation and rescue of Israel. And hearing this old man talk about the nations being saved must have been a great shock for them. But guess what? That is the wonder of Christmas. Christmas has so many surprises. 
It throws at us as unsuspecting believers that leaves us in awe, in wonder, and in worship of what a great God our God is. Simeon says this salvation has been prepared for all the nations. Now that Jesus has come, he has come both for the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you ever had any doubt, he actually explains it in verses 32. He begins with the people you would not have expected to be part of God's people. That this salvation is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. People who have been living outside God's covenant community. People who have been living outside God's covenant law. People who have lived in the darkness of sin. Finally, we will see the light shine upon them. And God will reveal himself to these Gentiles in a manner that they had never known before. Never expected. Never suspected. Never anticipated. Now, in short, what really we call that is that this would be the gospel of God's grace. A grace reaching out to the undeserving. A grace reaching out even when it has not been asked for or expected. A grace reaching out to people who have not worked for it and not merited it, that the light of God's revelation would shine on the Gentiles. Wow! If it were not for this Messiah coming for you and me, we would not even be here tonight discussing the message and the wonder of Christmas. And as you being Gentiles, since we are non-Jews, if there is <coughs> anything that Christmas brings good news for, it is you and me. That in Christ Jesus, even we who were formerly not God's people have become sons and daughters of the living God. We who were not searching, not longing, because we didn't even expect the Savior to come, guess what? He has come for us too. If there is any reason to celebrate Christians, it is us who are non-Jews saying hallelujah the Messiah has come and he has come for us too. That we are part of God's blessings and benefits because of Christmas. But secondly, the writer does not want to leave out Israel. He reminds us. That God has come through the coming of the Messiah as a light for the revelation of the Gentiles, but also for the glory of Israel. Remember what we said much earlier, that at the time the Messiah comes, Israel is in a state of, what can I even call it, dismay and despise. It has been trampled on by its enemies. Heathen nations have subjugated it. Jerusalem is under the rulership of the Romans. God's people are not able to exercise their freedoms and their worship fully as they did when they were under God's covenant. And they are at a place of despair, a place of disappointment, a place of hopelessness. So when the old man Simeon says that, that this salvation is the glory of Israel, he's talking about the, the renewal and the restoration of those graces that Israel as God's people had enjoyed before they were deserted by God because of his judgment over their sin. This is a restoration. This is a renewal. This is a recreation. A nation once upon a time laughed upon now we receive again the favor of God. The glory of God once again will shine on God's people Israel. 
And when Simeon looks at this baby, he sees the Gentiles receiving God's revelation. He sees the Jews being restored back to their privileges and position in God's covenant promises. And he says, ah, sovereign Lord, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. It's over. It's the best anyone could have ever hoped for. And in fact, if there is anything Simeon says here from his silence, he basically says the best that God could ever give the world has come. There is no need for him waiting around because it doesn't get better than that. You know, sadly, even as we discuss the good news of Christmas tonight, back in Israel, we have people who are still waiting for the Messiah. They have no idea that 2,000 years ago he came. They are still looking through the Old Testament pages and passages, hoping that one day the promised Messiah will come and wipe their tears from their sorrows and their frustrations. But if there is anything, they need to listen to Simeon. Because when Simeon saw the baby, he said, whatever we were waiting for is now done. It has become reality. It is fulfilled. Better is never going to come because this is God's very best he has given us. And what is the right response to this very best gift of God? Simeon says, I can now go home. There is nothing more I'm waiting for. If there was much more that could give God's people a better hope than the Messiah coming, Simeon would have said, thank you Jesus for coming, but I need to hang around and wait for the real thing. No, Simeon says it's time to go home. The best has come. Jesus is the climax, not only of God's revelation, but also of God's salvation. If you walk beyond Jesus and his work on the cross for you, there is no salvation for you. If you go put your trust in anything or anyone above and beyond Jesus and what he has done for you, there remains no more hope for you. Because Jesus is God's best. Jesus is God's climax. Jesus is supreme, sufficient, and central to everything. In him is freedom, is fellowship, is fullness that you will ever desire. And so to walk away from Jesus is really to plunge yourself into eternal destruction. Simeon understood this. He said it doesn't get better than this. And now that I have seen it, I can safely go. But Emma, there is something more that uh, Simeon says that I think our listeners need to understand here. Because this is not what you would expect in the message of Christmas. Simeon says, we read from verses 33 that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then 34, we see here that then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword, Mary, will pierce your soul too. Huh? But we thought Christmas is supposed to be good news. Christmas is supposed to be about the Messiah has come, everything is wonderful, nothing will ever be the same again. Let's eat the chicken, drink the soda, and go party. And usually, that is the message many people get when they think about Christmas. But do you notice that this man, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, goes beyond the coming of Jesus and adds things in the narrative that we would never have expected? As a matter of fact, it looks like bad news. 
Number one, he says this child will be a divider of the people. He will reveal the thoughts of a man's heart. He will divide men one from another. And you're left wondering, Simeon, what are you talking about? You began well. What's going on with you now, old man? Simeon is saying, look here. When the Jesus of Christmas has come, everybody must make a choice. You cannot say, me, I'm almost for Jesus. You are either for Jesus or you are against him. You are either doing things in line with Jesus' teaching and his will, or you are not and you will be revealed for who you really are. And indeed, in the Old Testament, we see that unfold. That for every good man you read about, especially in, a, in the narrative around his birth and his ministry, you will see that there are always two separate camps. You have, for instance, King Herod in Matthew trying to look for the baby Jesus so that he can kill him. Then you have the wise men, the Magi, who have come all the way from the east. Gentiles who never knew Jesus and the prophecies around him. They are the ones who come with the gifts to worship him. And what are they saying? Where is the one born king so that we can worship him? Mm -hmm. The Gentiles come to worship Jesus. The Jew who should have known better is looking for him to kill him. You can't have it both ways. You are either a Herod or you are among the wise men. You have people like Pilate later. Pilate who washes his hands and says, I find nothing wrong with this man, but since you insist you can crucify him, me, my hands are clean. This is a man who has heard from Jesus first hand. He knows the truth more than people around there. But what does he do? He walks away from what he knows to be true and makes the greatest tragedy of all human history. But while Pilate is doing that, there is a Roman centurion standing at the cross of Jesus. And when Jesus dies, what is this man's conclusion? Surely this was the son of God. He stands before two men. Pilate says, I wash my hands, do whatever you want. The Roman centurion stands, watches, and makes a powerful confession. Surely this was the son of God. Not a good man. <laughs> the son of God. You have people like Peter, who denies Jesus three times, repents and is restored. But you also have Judas, who betrays Jesus once, and does what? And commits suicide. You have one thief on the cross who blasphemes Jesus and says, if you are indeed who you claim to be, get yourself from the cross and save us also. Then you have the other one who says, Wama Jesus, me mm. I recognize what I have done. When you have reached in your paradise, do what? Remember me also. Remember me. <laughs> one thief ends up in heaven, another outside. Peter is in, Judas is out. Pilate is out, the Roman centurion is in. The Magi are in, Herod is out. There is no in-between. Yeah. Simeon says this baby will be the divider of people. Their hearts will be revealed for what they really are. And either they will be for him or against him. But number two, another important point. Simeon says that and a sword will pierce your soul too. What is Simeon talking about? Why does the coming of Jesus become a problem and a sorrow for Mary? At first it doesn't make sense until you begin to realize 
that Simeon holding this baby in his hands is not just seeing the birth of Jesus, but he is also seeing the death of Jesus. In other words, we are saying that in the cradle of Christmas are the shadows of Calvary. That God who orchestrated the coming of the Messiah did not just bring about his birth as a great savior of the world, but in that very narrative, he also introduces his death as the only way through which that salvation will come. Jesus is born as the savior of the world, but how is he going to save the world? Through his rejection, through his humiliation, through his suffering, through his death on Calvary's cross. So Simeon doesn't just see a baby who has come to bring light into a dark world. He also sees the darkness that will engulf him so that God's people can receive the light of salvation. For the light of God's salvation to come, the darkness of sin and death must engulf Jesus. And in this very baby of Bethlehem, Simeon looks through this baby and he sees Calvary's cross. He turns to Mary and says, a sword will pierce you too. For you to think about Christmas without thinking about Easter is a very tragic mistake. Because Christmas in and of itself is not enough. If Jesus was only born as the Messiah, but he did not die for your sin and mine, we would still not be saved. Romans says that for he was delivered unto death for our transgressions, and he was raised from the dead for our justification. Our transgressions are not taken away by his birth. Nor is our right standing before God restored by his birth, as much as his birth is wonderful. It is the consummation of his birth, the purpose of his birth, the reason for which he is born, that actually brings about our salvation. Simeon looked in the baby and he saw the man Jesus die on Calvary's cross. He was able not only to celebrate his coming in, but to anticipate and predict his exit on behalf of sinners. And Simeon says, and you too, Mary. A sword will pierce your heart. Christmas and Easter are like a sandwich. They go together. They are like two sides of the coin. On the one hand you have his coming. On the other hand you have his death. On the one hand you have a babe born in Bethlehem. On the other hand you have Jesus the man hanged on Calvary's cross. And without those two pictures, salvation cannot be realized. Simeon understood that baby Jesus wasn't enough. And he says, through this baby is coming one who will lay down his life for the sake of the salvation of all nations. And this salvation will be experienced and celebrated by many because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Friends, if there is anything that Simeon tells us, Simeon says, celebrate Christmas, but remember Easter. Simeon says the one who is born as a helpless baby in Bethlehem is the Savior who will lay down his life for you and I. And that, my friends, is the hope of the Christmas message that in Christmas we receive the one who dies on our behalf. We receive the Lamb who is sacrificed for our sake. We hear echoes of Calvary in the cradle of Bethlehem. In the crying of this baby Jesus, we hear the wailing on Calvary's cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabakathan. Father, why have you forsaken me? 
For only in that forsakenness and in that pain and in that danger and death will the Savior born on Christmas bring about the light of revelation to the Gentiles and restore the glory of Israel. If there is anything Simeon teaches us, Simeon says when Christ has come, it changes everything. That when Christ has come, our longing and waiting and looking is over because all the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament find their fulfillment in Jesus. And now instead of looking back to what the prophet said, we look to the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ for in him is our fullness, in him is our freedom from sin and from death and from every shackle that ever held us. Christmas is good news, not of a baby born in Bethlehem, but of a Savior who brings salvation to Jews and Gentiles through his death on Calvary's cross. As you think about this baby in Bethlehem, please remember the man Jesus on Calvary's cross. Remember that he died for your sins. Remember that in him you can find forgiveness and reconciliation back to a holy God. And if you encounter the Christ of Christmas, your life, my friend, will never be the same again. May God bless you so much. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.